Hello to you all. Glad you have decided to be here with us tonight at Dalreda to worship with us. Uh, glad that we have this opportunity. Uh, before we begin tonight, let's start with a word of prayer. Lord our God, we come before you. Thank you for this day you've given to us. Thank you for the rain that you send this way. It reminds us that you are the one that nourishes, nourishes the whole earth, the one that brought it into existence by the word of your power. And that same word speaks to us tonight. I pray that it will be an encouragement to us, that you will nourish us with your word, and that we'll go into this world uh, with the proper energy and the proper mindset to glorify you in all things. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray all this to you in his name. Amen. Tonight, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Joshua chapter 7. We're going to be spending our time in Joshua 7, looking at a little bit of context around it. Uh, but we're going to be looking at a story that's probably familiar to you. I know it's one that we teach the kids from a very young age, talking about Aiken. Right before I got up here, Shelby turned to me because she has a few uh, pneumatic devices that she uses to teach the third graders. And they remember this story by Aiken Bacon. I don't know why it's Aiken Bacon, but now I can't get it out of my head. So tonight we're going to talk about Aiken Bacon uh, and, and his sin that you'll find in Joshua chapter 7. The way we're going to look at the text tonight is we're going to break it into a couple of different steps uh, to find what we're going to talk about and the application from it. And first, I want to talk about the plot. Before we can dive into uh, Joshua chapter 7, we've got to figure out what's going on. Now, I've been accused of every time I study a passage that I have to go all the way back to Genesis. We won't go that far this time, Gif. We're going to back up only uh, to uh, chapter 5. Think about Joshua. Joshua, you know, taking over after Moses. A great task of leading a nation. We've talked about him before, starting there in chapter 1 and being encouraged. But I want to start this section by looking at the end of chapter 5. When Joshua comes in contact with a commander of the Lord's army. Now, since Joshua and all the Israelites have come into the land of Canaan, they have been on their guard knowing that they are about to battle numerous nations and people and cities time after time. And that's the task that they're given. You're to go into Canaan and you're to take this promised land that I gave to Abraham and to his descendants. This is your land, but you must claim it. Knowing that these people have sinned, they have turned their back on God, they've had everything they needed to know that God exists, but they have turned their back on him. And so I'm sending you, the Israelites, into this whole land to take possession of it. And so Joshua is on guard. Every time he comes across someone, a nation, that he's on guard, ready to speak to them and ready to proclaim the Lord, but also be a tool for God. Well, Joshua finds this man with his sword, his sword drawn. Joshua being on guard sees him and, and he approaches him ready and he said, are you for us or are you against us? And the man says, no, neither one. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And God wants you to know what your task is. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. you got a battle to fight. And if you'll keep yourself focused on the correct things, then everything will be fine. And that's the reoccurring theme that you find with Joshua, a short little snippet of it when he comes in contact with the commander. One, think of how awe-inspiring the task of Joshua would be. One, just meeting the commander of the Lord's army, I would be quite intimidated. Knowing that one angel that, uh, that God commands can take out an entire nation. One angel standing there can take out 
thousands of men and you meet the commander of the Lord's army, it makes you want to pay attention a little bit more. But from the time that Joshua has set foot in the land of Canaan, it has come by the hand of God. The nation standing at the brink of the Jordan, ready to cross over. They could easily have maybe found a place that they could ford over uh, the Jordan River, but God said, no, I want to make sure that you come across with my power. And he lines them up correctly, and he gets the priest, and, and he tells them, I, I want each one of you to take a particular stone. And I want 12 of them uh, to be in your hands, and I want you to walk into the Jordan. And all the people are lined up across the Jordan River. The whole nation waiting to cross over into the promised land. And, and they send these 12 priests with the ark into the middle of the Jordan. And it begins to dry up. Where the waters are heaped all the way to the, to the city of Adam. All the way up miles away that the Jordan River is dried. And God said, I'm going to bring you over into this land. They could have easily found a place and they could have crossed over. But God wanted to make sure... I'm the one that's in charge. Not only for Joshua, I want you to know of that, but I want all the nations to realize that I am in control. And so with power, they enter in. And, and it's very easy maybe for this entire nation, as they come across different cities and different places, that they had the ability, they had the power in and of themselves individually to take over a city. It would not be very much for them to take thousands of men and just come in and, and swarm a city and, and remove them. But God says, I want to remind you that I am in control. And you're familiar with what happens in Joshua chapter 6. They're told to go against Jericho. Now, we first met Jericho when the spies came into the city and they found Rahab and she gave them refuge and she asked that her and her house would be saved when the Israelites come through because she feared the one true God that leads them. But Joshua's told, I want you to go into this city. Now, you'll see the walls, and you'll see the people in there, and we're going to do this a little unorthodox. We're going to go into it a little bit different way than what you would expect. I want you to take all your fighting men. I want you to take the priests, and I want you to take some horns, and I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant, and I want you to march around the city. All that I want you to do is to blow the trumpets, and I want all of your people to stay completely silent. And for six days, I want you to march around it once. Now, imagine being the city behind those walls, seeing this great nation, this horde of people that have come in, and they're marching around, and they're just waiting. When are they going to bring the battering ramps? When are they going to bring the siege workshops to, to take over these walls? What are they going to do next? And they blow the trumpets, and they march around, and they go back to their camp. Now, one day, maybe... They'll think, okay, they're just preparing us. They're letting us know that, okay, here's the nation, and they're going to come. And then day two, they do the same thing. Day three, four, five. By this time, if I was in the city, I'd be absolutely terrified. They might be ready to surrender at that point of, when are you just going to get it over with? When are you just going to destroy us? You know, we're in here. Uh, we're not going to let you in. We're not going to come out. We're just going to stay where we are. Maybe they're trying to draw them out. I can't imagine what was going on. But these same people are the ones that acknowledge, we know that the Israelites, when they came into the land, that the, the Jordan River was heaped up. They know what power these people come into the land with. Now, they may not be sure exactly where it comes from, but those who have an open mind, they know that their God is significant in comparison to their own. 
And so Jericho, by whatever means, they're, they're, they're trying to stay together. And you know how the story ends. On that seventh day as they march around, the people yell. And they know that the fight is no longer in their hands, but it's in God. And, and God brings down the walls. But in the midst of that, one of the, the commands that Joshua is given that he is to take to all the people, you'll find in Joshua chapter 6. And on, in uh, verse 15, we're going to begin reading. It says, On the seventh day they rose early, at the dawn of the day, and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. And it was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is in uh, shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted in a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword." So God told him, he said, yes, I'm going to give this city into your hands. But what you find there, all the plunder that you may receive from it, I want you to bring it into the house of the Lord. All the gold, silver, all of it. I don't want you to take any of it because this place is devoted to destruction. All the people present, everything that they have is dedicated to me. And what I want from it is for you to kill them that have disobeyed my word and really his very nature. And I want you to take all their possessions and I want you to give it to me. The whole situation is encompassed by God. He's the one that guided them. He's the one that instructed them. He's the one that brought down the walls. He's the one that says, this is mine. I want you to give it to me. Take none of it for yourself. I want it all devoted to destruction. All of it to be set aside for my purpose. Now, it seemed easy to do, okay, they've come into the, the whole land by the power of God, knowing that, okay, God is going to continue the fight for them, and then he gives them this unconditional way of, hey, I want you to go and march around this city, and I'm going to give it to you, but you make sure you return back to me. Seems simple enough. It'd be very easy. You don't really have to do very much. The fight has already been won. But as you know where the story is going, and I as well, we know that Achan makes a mistake. So we've kind of laid our foundation. We've laid a plot for what's going on. What, how did we build up to chapter 7? And this is where we've gotten to. We've gotten to that they have overcome Jericho. Everything was supposed to be given to God, and they made sure for the most part that they did so. A great nation, a great city that they had approached. But when you come into chapter 7, verse 1, we're now going to look at the context. Having the plot laid down, now we're going to look at the context for what we're going to study tonight. And you get to chapter 7, verse 1, and you realize that Achan stole some of the devoted things. Later on, we're going to find out this was a, a, a nice a piece of clothing. There was some silver and there was some gold. And he wanted it, and he coveted it, and he took it for himself and he hid it in his tent. Now, we know how the story is going to go. We know that he took some of it. 
But if you'll recall, none of the Israelites have figured this out at this point. What they know is God has just torn down the walls of Jericho, and now there's another city of Ai that we're going to go and take. So they send some spies and they say, hey, look, this city, it's small. There's nothing really big about it. We don't have to be intimidated. We don't have to be concerned. Let's send a small entourage. Let's send a small group of people and let's take down this nation because it's not going to be that big of a deal. The city of Ai is very small in comparison to who we are, especially when we just knock down walls without touching a single one. So they go into the battle and their men die. They have 36 of them that end up dying and they retreat. They had 3,000 that went in, 36 died, and they come back out. And I want you to listen to what Joshua says. Because this is all building into the context of where we're going to get to and understanding the sin of Achan and why it is so unique and why it's so important for us to consider tonight. When you go to Joshua chapter 7, starting in verse 6, well, you can see the tail end of verse 5, and it says, And the hearts of the people, that is, of the Israelites, melted and became as water. That same term is characteristic for any time that a pagan nation sees the God of Israel, it says that their hearts melt within them. That's exactly what Rahab said back in chapter 2. But it's this time that the Israelites, their hearts melt within them and become as water. And in verse 6 says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had, contend to dwell, uh, would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Now, I don't know if you really picked up on how bold of a statement this is. Uh, God, why did we lose? Why did we turn our backs? And you know what? This is actually a stab on your name and your reputation. Because they're going to see this great nation that came in with power, that has overcome Jericho, that's seen the Jordan rivers be heaped up, hearing stories about the Red Sea, hearing the stories about how they were escaped from Egypt and how they were uh, this great nation. And he said, we stand before this small army and now we've been overthrown. God, what are they going to think about you and your name now that we have been conquered? You see, Joshua didn't know that Achan had done something that was outside of the plan of God. All he knew was that, God, you said we were going to be okay. Why are we not okay? Why have we been overcome? Why did this very small, minuscule battle really destroy us? God, what's going to happen to your name? What are the people going to say when they see the Canaanites, when these Canaanites see us and they think, your God's not with you. He brought you over the Jordan that you may die. One that's very bold and I guess I have to ask as a side note, where do you think he learned that kind of conversation from? Does it sound familiar to somewhere around Exodus 32 with a golden calf? When Moses comes and talks to, to God, God says, look, Moses, I'm about to destroy all these people. They've created a golden calf. You're up here on Mount Sinai. They are down here. They've created a golden calf. I'm going to turn away from them. I'm going to destroy all them, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And, and Moses turns to him, and he says, God, what will the people think about your name? That you led them out of Egypt and you allowed them to die at the brink of this mountain. 
I think Joshua really did learn a lot from Moses. Having this kind of conversation is a repetition of what Moses did. And so I guess Joshua's pretty bold, but he also knows God pretty well that he says, okay, what are people going to say about your name? What, what do people say about the name of God by our actions and by the things that we do and the things that we say? Something for us to consider. So we have the context. The context is they've been overthrown by a small little nation. They've turned their back, and, and God's reputation, his very name is at stake based off of what they've been doing. And Joshua is limited in his knowledge, thinking that it's God that has withdrawn. And in some sense, it is, because, but we know that there's a little more to the story. And so the context has been established. The plot has been laid. Now let us look at the text tonight. If you look at verses 10 through 15, God tells Joshua, one of your own has taken something that was devoted to me and devoted to destruction, and they've taken it as their own. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up off the ground, and in the morning, I want you to call all of the Israelites before you. And I want you to tell them that there is someone who has disobeyed the will of God, and I want tribe by tribe, household by household, name by name to be drawn and we're going to find out who this was. Have you ever dreaded what was going to happen the next day? Let's say you had a big decision to make. Let's say there was something really pressing on you and you didn't want to do it. And you knew that the next day was going to be a lot of trouble and a lot of pain. You probably wouldn't sleep very well. Your stomach would be in knots. You would be very upset can only imagine what Joshua had to go through knowing that the next day you're going to find out who sinned. You're going to find out what's going on and you're going to select them. And I'm going to tell you what you need to do with them. If that's not bad enough, Joshua wakes up early in the morning. You can see in verse 16, he's accustomed to waking up early in the morning. His mind was set to this. And he brings all the Israelites out. Now, I say that they, they knew why they were there. God had told them when he gave them the commandments on Mount Sinai that if you do my will, I will protect you. If you don't, destruction waits for you. Destruction was there, therefore they knew sin had to be present. But you pick up in verse 16. It says, so Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the clans of Judah, and the clan of Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan the son of Camry, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now, directing our attention from Joshua and his task, now let's focus on Achan and what he knew. Can you imagine standing there with the entire nation knowing that someone was at fault and it was you? Now, it would have been simple, I would think, for him just to step out and say, I did it. I'm sorry. I, I saw it. I wanted it. Here, you can have it. I don't know how long this process would have taken. There's quite a few people present in the nation of Israel. And him waiting, maybe questioning. I, I don't know. I can't imagine what was going through his mind, waiting for it to come down to who he was, that he was responsible for why God's name was in question. But he was taken. 
And you look at verse 19, it says, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. You see, it's almost kind of an undoing of the questioning of God's name by the actions. He's saying, you give praise and glory to God. And tell me now what you have done. Don't hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing uh, 50 shekels. I coveted them and I took them. And see, they're hidden in the earth inside my tent with a silver underneath. I don't know, can you pick up on maybe what tone is used to describe this? What would Achan say, you know, yeah, it was me, sorry, I thought I'd get away with it, but here you go. I doubt it was lighthearted. I doubt that was an easy conversation for anyone in that camp to have, and plus this is in a public way. Everybody knew that he was chosen, that he's the one that did it. It's got to be a terrifying experience. There's nothing about the Israelites coming into the land of Canaan that, that, would be, uh, that wouldn't make your heart melt. There's numerous things about that whole situation that you really know what God stands for. And I can think about this conversation and him, him coming out right, and it seems like, okay, Achan has come out and he said, look, I took it, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have, look, you can have it, you can go to my tent, you can find it there. I wish the story ended there. I wish that was it and you're like, okay, I'm just going to fill in the blanks that they fixed it, they, you know, he, he repented, he asked for forgiveness, and they go and they're ready to fight in the next battle. But we go from the plot to the context to the text. I want to put some challenges before you tonight, textually. Some challenges before you for things for you to consider, maybe about God's nature and the way that he works. You get to verse 22, and it says, So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and the donkeys, and the sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire, and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remain to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger... Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor, which means the Valley of Trouble. Now, this is where a lot of people struggle with their definition of God. And it might be posed in such a way, and I think Melvin hinted on this in a few of his lessons. Why would the God of Israel kill this man for what he did? Not only this man that was responsible for his sins, but his entire family. Everything that he had was destroyed. His daughters, his wife, everything that belonged to him, they stoned, they burned, they stoned, they raised a heap over it. Seems very extreme. Maybe it's akin to the question of how can you serve a God that will wipe out an entire nation time after time that what we call the Genonite uh, the Canaanite genocide. Why would God do that? Why does your God that you profess to be all loving and all caring 
Why would he destroy people like this? And maybe you've been presented with a question like that. And I know people want to challenge their perception of God. And it makes some challenges present in this text. It makes us wrestle with, yes, I know that God is all-loving. I know that he desires all people to be saved. I know he doesn't want anybody to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance, to the knowledge of his truth, so that they can have a home in heaven with him. But this seems so extreme. This seems so, so difficult. Why would God do this? Wouldn't it just be simple enough? Maybe, all right, I can maybe negotiate with God. All right, you can have Achan. He did it. Leave his family alone. Leave everything that he's got. Just take him. Let him be punished for his sins. But yet his entire household, everything that he owned. It presents some challenges. Let's see if we can make sense of a few of them. What do we learn from this passage? Well, the most extreme and the most simple observation is that Sin has consequences. And we get that. We realize that there's a judgment waiting for us. We understand that there's things like that. But maybe to help us answer the, the extreme circumstance here, go back and see if you can find the parallels in chapter 6 with what God says here. Back in chapter 6, as they're talking about Jericho, going back to verse 18, says, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. The valley of Achor, the valley of trouble. Why have you brought trouble upon yourself today? Why have you brought trouble upon the Israelites? See, when God said, he goes, if you take anything, if you deal with anything that can make you unclean, it's going to make you unclean in every respect. He had given them everything they needed beforehand, saying, look, if you take it, it's not going to be good for you nor your family or the entire nation. You're in this together. You're all bringing glory and honor to the name of God. And when things begin to change, the glory and honor to the name of God begins to be changed in people's minds. And so he gave them fair warning before. And Parallel those two things about uh, Achan and about what God said concerning Jericho. And your answer will be found there. You see, yes, God is severe. Because he has to be just. And I'm glad that I worship a just God. I'm glad that he is able to keep his love and his mercy and grace all in a combined package to be able to deal with us effectively. Because God is severe and because he is just, that we know that there's a judgment waiting for us. As I said, that's the simple approach to it. But there's a day-to-day application that we must realize that comes from this. You see, we built the foundation, the plot for what's happening here, and we've jumped into the context and into the text itself. And we're presenting these challenges of exactly what is God teaching us here and what can we learn from it. But now the most immediate application needs to apply to us. As we finish tonight, I want to show you a few verses from the New Testament to bring into mind the application. You learn who God is from this, but what I want to find out is who we are in relation to this. At the very heart of it, what was Achan's problem? Achan Bacon. What was Achan Bacon's problem in this passage? He coveted these things. Question, why? 
well, duh, Billy, we know why people want to have possessions because possessions are possessions. That's what we live our lives by, that we have clothing, we have money, we want to be able to buy the proper things. We're, We're enticed by possessions and things of this earth. We get that. It makes sense of why he coveted those things because he wanted them the same way that we want more money, the same way that we want whatever material that may be. But if you put it in context for what's happening, God has prepped them for 40 years beforehand of, I want us to spend time in the wilderness. Do you realize that, that it was the Israelites and God in the wilderness for 40 years? They didn't have to worry about another, uh, another wife, so to say. And you know that God in his relationship to the Israelites describes a husband and a wife. They were looking for something else. But not in the wilderness, it was just them. And so God has been so careful to make sure that when you come in and there's other things that you're going to see, you don't run after other things. You run after me instead. That your whole goal is to give glory and honor to me in all things. Don't go after things of this earth. Realize that that is devoted, that all the things that we see around us, that cannot compare to what God is able to do. And if he says, I'm going to lead you out of Egypt, I'm going to lead you through the wilderness, I'm going to lead you into the land of Canaan, I'm going to give you this land that's been prepped for you, everything there, every city, every house, everything has been laid out for you, it's all in front of you, I'm going to give it to you, but make sure you realize who I am. And Achan said, I realize what these things are. And the reason why he coveted and the reason why we get so caught up in things of this earth is because we lose perspective on what God is able to do for us. If you go to Ephesians chapter 5, or rather 1 Corinthians chapter 5, a challenging couple of verses for us to look at uh, in the New Testament and realizing how we handle sin among us. But I want us to look here first in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting in verse 11, it says, But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or uh, swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. It's almost a a parallel to what you see in the Old Testament. Don't don't play with sin. Don't, Don't play with fire. Don't deal with these things. And we want to talk about when we come across these verses of sexual immorality. Oh, you don't need to be a drunkard. But we miss over the, the greedy and the idolater. Furthermore, you go to Ephesians chapter 5. The same writer says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And then finally in Colossians 3, in verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Two concepts I want to link together is the thought of covetousness and idolatry and greed. Why did the Israelites go after idols? Why did Achan go after possessions? Far too often we make this, God, we make this world our God. 
And what we need to realize is that God is so much more than what we see right in front of us. And many times it comes in the form of possessions. We get so caught up in it, are we going to have enough money to do this? Are we going to have uh, this? Are we going to have that? How am I going to provide for this and provide for that? And I realize that's part of being on this earth. I know that I took the responsibility of taking care of my wife when we got married. We took care of the responsibility of providing for Kinley and our children. That's something that we sign up for, and we know that's part of life, but... We get so caught up in our possessions and what this world has to offer, we actually lose what God has to offer. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, there to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation of the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What can we learn from Achan? Achan was consumed, or rather distracted, by things of this earth instead of being distracted by God. And if we set our hope on the uncertainty of riches we'll miss out on the certainty of the treasures that God has for us. I just want us to, for a little bit of time tonight, to think about Achan. And you're either going to find yourself in the story, or you're not. How does this world look to you? And how does God look in comparison to the world? Give glory and give honor to God in all things. And you'll find out that he's far more valuable than anything you'll find on this earth. If you've been distracted, if you've been taken away by things that are pressing you on this earth, you've got to give them over to God. Stop trying to fight your battles. Let the power of God through his word and through the strength and encouragement of others help you to overcome the challenges in front of you. Let God fight your battles. If you haven't given yourself